You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy lattes, Sinead Maripodi. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on Writers Off The Page, where I sit down with authors to find out the story behind their stories and their top tips for getting published. Today, I'm joined by podcast royalty. Danny V is the legend behind the very popular Words and Nerds podcast. She's also an experienced English teacher and has a trillion books on the way with Larry Compress, the first of which is the picture book, My Extraordinary Mum. Danny V, thank you so much for joining me on Writers Off The Page. Wow, you said so many nice things about me. I nearly didn't recognise myself. (laughs) (laughs) Start on a high note and we're going to keep going through it as well. Um, Congratulations on your debut picture book. Thank you. It is surreal. And whenever I see someone holding it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is real. Because there are so many times in the process where you think, you know, so many things can happen that it's not going to work or it's not going to happen. And so to have, you know, them land on your doorstep and do the unboxing and have people hold them and then people want to talk to you about them. It's really cool. It's like, okay, it is real. This is real. (laughs) Well, this is different for you now because you've been interviewing people for many years now and countless episodes of Words and Nerds. You're what, past? 500, yeah. My God, and now to be on the other side and being interviewed, how's that? It's terrifying. It's really fun. I don't mind being out of my comfort zone. I try and put myself there occasionally. Um, But it's just weird because you're usually the one leading the interview and in control and asking the questions and now you're just sitting here being the one that has no control. (laughs) (laughs) So tell everyone, what is My Extraordinary Mum? It's about a book, I ultimately about a mother and daughter, their relationship, and it's really any parent and child relationship and that really special connection they have. I guess that's at the heart of it. But the idea for My Extraordinary Mum really came from me not seeing enough women represented as they are in society in a lot of books and a lot of TV shows. And so I thought, where are the mums, you know, that are fun, that are adventurous, that are reclaiming their identity, that are rebuilding themselves after motherhood? Because so often, particularly, I think in mainstream um, television, all we are seem to be is the bringer of band-aids or reigning in the fun or bringing the floaties when dad's forgotten them, all of those things. And I thought, you know, I know so many amazing women who are so highly talented or educated or doing interesting things that I just thought our kids needed to see us being more than the brand, the, the bringer of Band-Aids. <laughs> well, I have to laugh, actually, you say that, because I know the conversation came in our family with the old Wheels on the Bus song and how the mum is the one saying, shush, 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 and right? then the dad's going, I love you, and everyone else is doing lovely things. I'm like, this poor mum is just telling everyone to be quiet. <laughs> That's right. And look, rightfully so. She's probably not slept all night. Um, it's still the perception of that's exactly right. We're telling people to be quiet and we're the nurturing ones and we're the ones, you know, bringing everything that dad's forgotten and reigning in the fun. Don't get too silly and be sensible. And all of those things are obviously needed in life or, you know, there'd be chaos. But I just wanted to expand that idea that mums are also more than that. Oh, definitely. And your picture book is so empowering, which you don't expect to be empowered as the adult reading the picture book. But the conversation that obviously um, regularly goes through my mum's group and my circle of friends is that feeling of losing yourself in motherhood. And that's the mum in your story is doing all of the things that I guess she wants to do and it's still possible. And I just love that, that that message is in a book. 
Yeah, and she's taking her child with her, you know. Mm. She's not saying, oh, I'm just going to do all these adventures without you, which of course is still important for us to do our own thing. But, you know, the heart of this book is about what would happen if you both found your identity or reclaimed your identity and you went on these adventures together, you know. And I think that's a really cool idea as well as being that that one unit experiencing new things. And it's true, you know, in, in motherhood, I really like the idea that you do lose yourself when you're never going to be the same again because life is never the same once you have this huge responsibility of keeping these people alive that you love so much. But I also love the idea of being able to rebuild or recreate yourself after, you know, that really dark time. I I say dark, not as in terrible, but dark as in the lights are always off because you're always awake in the middle of the night. (laughs) Time of bringing up the babies, you know, and once they kind of are a little bit more self-sufficient, I think it's a really exciting time to be able to recreate ourselves and and stop and think, you know, who do I want to be now? Danny B, the counsellor I didn't know I needed. I love it. The I is something I'm so I just think it's something that I, I felt so deeply you know and I, I loved the time when I was like I said in the dark feeding my kids when the world was asleep and you know those those are really special moments but I did feel my old self slip away and there was a mm-hmm. point where you know you got a bit scared I think of like oh look who am I what am I am I more than a mother anymore because every time you look at every newspaper it's mother of two mother of three you know, that's all we're kind of perceived as when we become mothers. And although it's one of the most important jobs you'll ever do, um, we're still, that's only a sum of our parts. Mm. So tell me, Words and Nerds has been going for a while. We said over 500 episodes. What came first for you, the podcast or writing your own books? Yeah, I've always written, but I've never shown anyone except the students that I taught when I was an English teacher for a really long time. I think it was just that idea of, you know, you're not going to be good enough because I love literature so much. I'd studied it at school and then at university and then I taught it. And when you're studying and, and teaching all the greats, you think, well, what have I got to contribute, you know, when I'm teaching Edgar Allan Poe or whatever it is. And so so the podcast was really born out of the idea of me wanting to extend all of that stuff I was doing as an English teacher and as a student and um, finding out what authors, you know, how they were structuring their books and where their intent came from and all those questions that I loved talking about the process of writing. And then I guess I thought, you know, I'd love to be able to contribute as well to, you know, the literary landscape, but there's always that you know, imposter syndrome or how can I be as good as all these brilliant people that I've interviewed? And I guess it's just about not trying to be as brilliant, but just trying to have, you know, something to say in your own right. So I've always written, but never um, (laughs) seriously, never giving it to anyone else to read because I was so plagued with this is not good enough itis, as I like to call it. But um, at some point, you know, during the podcast, um, the planets aligned, I guess, when we did the Publishing Insider um, series with Adrian Beck and we got a lot of insights from publishers and that's where I met Larrikin House and I thought, you know, I think this idea would be a good fit for their brand and, you know, the planets aligned. So it was kind of good that I waited for the right moment because I think it landed with the right publisher. Had you already written My Extraordinary Mum before you interviewed Larrikin? In my head. (laughs) (laughs) 
so I, it was it was a concept that I was always playing with, but I've actually found my process is honestly 90% thinking and then 10% I'll just write it. And I'm not saying that what I write is going to be the finished product. There's lots of editing to go from there. But my process is very much doing a lot, a lot of thinking before I put pen to paper. So I was thinking about that story. I was thinking about how you could do that for kids and what the buy-in for kids was, because it was very much at first about, you know, the mother. And so when I sort of interviewed, um, you know, James at Larrikin House, it was a case of, oh, well, I think I can sort of fit their brief and that sort of quirky bent um, through all the, you know, things the activities the wild activities that mum does um throughout the picture book so it, it the first draft sort of all came out because i've been thinking about it for a long time but it was funny because I, I actually recorded my draft when i sent it as a pitch instead of writing it because you know it's a podcaster thing to do right <laughs> i love it <laughs> and um listening to it now it's original um version and then reading it now like they're completely different but it's almost like that first draft has to come out before the next version can come out you know i love that you recorded your pitch now i want to we need to go more into that (laughs) because that is so different to do and we talk about there's two two ways of thinking that publishers obviously have their set of rules and they want you to follow them and tick all the boxes but then you want to stand out from the crowd as well. <laughs> so tell me about going into this, recording your pitch. What what happened? Well, because after we interviewed, um, you know, there's a couple of emails later and I said, look, I, I'd like to pitch this idea to you. No pressure, obviously. Um, but I've got this idea I think it would work anyway. So he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, do that. So I just thought it had a really interesting rhythm at the time because it wasn't rhyme. And I thought... I think it needs to be read at this point in a particular way to get the rhythm to sort of capture the vibe or the tone of the book. And so I thought, you know what? I'm a podcaster. He's met me as a podcaster. I'm just going to record it. And so I recorded it and um, I sent it off. And that was actually one of the things that really stood out to him. And it wasn't like he had all these, you know, hard and fast rules. They do through the submission portals for Slush, but this was a kind of, you know, after you'd already met and and decided to submit. So, yeah, it turned out well. I'm not saying it, it 100% would have turned out well. But in so this, this is case, your number one tip for people, like record your pitch? Definitely not. Check. Check with your <laughs> publisher first. But I think particularly with a, I mean, I wouldn't do it for a 90,000-word crime novel, but um, I think for a picture book because whether it rhymes or not, rhythm is really important and bringing that rhythm can just, I think, bring it to life because you don't have pictures yet, you know, you just have a manuscript. So I guess I was trying to bring it to life as much as I could without any illustrations or, you know, second draft. (laughs) Of course. So having interviewed all of these authors beforehand, did you find that it kind of set you up going into things in that you had done the research and you kind of knew the best way to go about things. I always joke to people that particularly before I got my publishing contract that I was the most over-researched unpublished author (laughs) in the world and I probably knew too much and I almost wish that I was a little bit naive and ignorant because I felt like I was going to fail before I even went into things. Mm, I think the Publishing Insider series was a real 
real eye-opener for us, but I guess in a positive way because you can do all your research and you can read the submission guidelines and they're all different and they all blur into one and then you're kind of second-guessing yourself and not really sure what you're doing. But, you know, that series really gave us the opportunity to talk to, you know, 10 very different people in the industry and just get conversational advice. And I often think that's kind of the best advice and the most memorable. So I think, yeah, of course, do your research, but, you know, research the publisher as well about what they want and, you know, what they publish and, and read their books. You know, I think you sort of, you know, with Larrick and House, it's very specific, their brand, um, and not all publishers have that specific brand. But I think if you read a number of their books, you'll kind of have some idea what they're looking for. But, you know, on the flip side, often publishers will say they don't know what they're looking for until they see it. So <laughs> there's Always that. the most helpful <laughs> advice ever. <laughs> right. Was there anything about the path to publication that did surprise you and caught you off guard after kind of feeling like you had heard all the ins and outs? Mm, I guess um, I guess the editing process for a picture book didn't take me by surprise. I guess it did a little bit. I, I, you know, I don't know if anyone thinks when you write a picture book's around, you know, 250 to 500 words, but the amount of thought, it was a nice surprise though, you know, the amount of thought, the amount of time, effort, ideas and editing that goes into a picture book, I just found remarkable, you know, and I'm so glad that you know the craft of picture book is respected in this way and it's not just thrown together the night before but we had you know heaps of drafts that we were working on I think I did 19 endings because you know the publisher said he didn't like the first one and then we were always questioning it you know like what's the bind for the kid is this representative of enough mums you know we didn't want extraordinary to mean just rock climbing you know and that's why it's got those quieter moments in there later on so there was so much thought put into it but I loved that thought and that feedback and I didn't once take it personally because I just thought wow this is really respecting the readers those young readers and their parents who are going to read it to try and create you know the best book that we can about this topic. And did you get much say with the illustrations or did you were you quite happy to just hand that over? It was really hard because we couldn't find anyone to draw a mum like this. And I think we all had something in our head that we wanted, this wild, beautiful woman, but we just couldn't find her. And so we all went looking for illustrators, including myself, and we'd be looking on Instagram or we'd be tagging our favourite illustrator from here or there. But, you know, sadly, there's not that many wild women (laughs) uh, represented in children's literature. And so it was actually really difficult to find a mum that wasn't that stereotypical mum, you know, that I think we see too much of in mainstream media and television. So when this one came along, Mary, our creative director, sent it along and said, what do you think of this? I was just floored. I said, this is her. This is my mum. Because at first we were sort of modelling her off, um, you know, Lisa Bonet, you know, the beautiful dreadlocks Mm -hmm. and the, the whimsical dresses. But when this mum came through, we were just like, this is the one, you know, sometimes you just know. And I was like, this is her all over, you know, the beautiful wild red hair and the clothes and the way she was, you know, with the community on that spread with all those people. So it was just like we knew straight away when we saw the sketches. And they are absolutely gorgeous. And remind me, the illustrator is Alexandra, what's her surname again? Colombo. That's right, Alexandra Colombo. And she's done just a fabulous job of just bringing that 
to life. Yeah, and it's it's weird because in your head you think you have this kind of vision of what mum should look like and what each spread should look like and then someone presents you with something about 400 times better and you're like, ah, oh, this is why I'm not an illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that to them. <laughs> yes, because yes. even the little animals, you know, she's got little animals doing yoga. She's got a little turtle on every page doing these weird things. So she's I just like the dog added. Yeah, she's just yeah. added these beautiful little details that, you know, I didn't think of. So having the illustrator to sort of add another element of story is really special. Let's talk about the juggle and the fact that you're an extraordinary mum yourself. You're juggling kids, you're juggling a podcast, you're juggling your writing. You've also got a job. How do you keep balance? Mm, um, I don't like to think about it too much. <laughs> thinking about how I do all these things is a sure way to stress me out about it. Um, I don't like a lot of downtime. Um, I'm not sure if that's very healthy for me, (laughs) but I kind of, um, it gives the opportunity for my anxiety to run a little rampant if I'm not, um, you know, producing something or, or, you know, doing something with my time and being productive. So whether that's hanging out with my kids and watching movies with them, you know, I, I probably need to get better in my own company, but I, it is a bit of a safeguard against the anxiety. Um, your day job, you know, you like it, but you kind of have to do it because you kind of have to feed your children and yourself and, you know, all those things. So you just do that as everybody else does. But everything else I think is driven by a real passion and desire and love of you know this world this literary world not only is it you know a a compulsion to write as you would know yourself the community itself is just so supportive and encouraging and inspiring and to be a part of that is just such a privilege and i often think you know am i too busy should i stop doing x y and z but what scares me more is not doing x y z so i'd in fact rather i'd rather be a bit busier a little bit stretched um because not doing it you know, scares me. And, and had I been scared, and I was when I started the podcast, I was like, what am I doing? I don't, who am I to speak to people? Like, who's going to listen? <laughs> had I listened to that little voice, I would have missed out on so much. You know, I would have missed out on talking to some incredible people, of meeting incredible people who listen to the podcast, of speaking to you, of possibly this, you know, this publishing deal that I had. So I would have missed out on so much had I listened to that little scared voice that we all have in our heads. And so what I'm practicing is just saying yes to as many things as you can and watching how your world expands. And I'm not saying you need to say yes to everything because you do need to have boundaries and I certainly need to get better (laughs) at doing that. But wherever you can say yes and wherever it's, you know, going to lead to maybe something that out of your comfort zone or something a little bit different or that you haven't done before or might stretch you I mean why not why not say yes and give it a crack do you I'm curious do you still think as your of your writing and your podcast as a hobby or is it another career now Mm, it's really interesting and I'm not sure sort of when they flip over to what you know they say professional you have to be paid and obviously you get paid as a writer um so I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you measure it. You know, do you measure it in time? Do you measure it in monetary value? Do you measure it? I don't know. I think I just like to have a whole bunch of things that run parallel that I enjoy doing and some pay you money and some pay you in other ways. I'm a big believer of that, you know, money is not the greatest measure of everything. You know, somehow in our society, it's, 
you know, how much does this earn you and do you get paid for this? And obviously artists need to be paid for their work. I'm not saying they don't, mm. but, you know, I think I also get a different sort of value um, from the different things that I do. So it's a really interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. The reason yet. I ask, I mean, it's something that comes up for me a lot and talking to other people in the writing community, it seems to be this common feeling that people find it so hard to sacrifice time to write away from family or to say no to commitments because they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm writing, but it's mm. not it's not like a paid job where I'm going and, you know, there's a boss over my shoulder or a regular income. Yeah. So it's hard for, to be, ta- not necessarily to be taken seriously because I think it's totally a lot of writers, myself included, it's very much an internal thing where your perception on how other people see it is very different to probably what mm. they think. But, yeah, getting that balance right and that shift of mentality to go, well, I'm very passionate about this. I take it very seriously. So it's gone past a hobby now. Yeah, I agree. And I I think that's exactly where my extraordinary mum sits. You know, you do the things that make you happy and you be the person who you are unapologetically. You know, so I, I definitely don't say, you know, my day job is more important than my writing or more important than the podcast. Yes, it gives me more money to live on, but it doesn't mean that that's more valuable to me. It's necessary. And, you know, when I'm there, I'm focused on what I'm doing, but I, I don't actually feel any guilt from pursuing the podcast or pursuing the writing because I know that I'm a better person if I do these things. And if I don't do these things, I'm this kind of anxious, stressed out mum. And, you know, I'm a better person and a better mum when I do do those things for myself. And that's the lesson, I guess, if you want to say lesson, <laughs> in my extraordinary mum, like that's the idea behind it. You have to pursue those passions uh, despite you know, what people think you should be doing and you have to be who you are despite, you know, the roles that you take on and, you know, because people have these locked in perceptions of what a mother should be and how a mother should behave or how a woman should behave. And I was trying to sort of push the boundaries a little bit here and say, no, no, imagine, just imagine what it would be like if not only we could be ourselves unapologetically, but if we accepted others and allowed them to be themselves Mm. unapologetically. Like imagine if we can do that. So what does an average week look like for you? Is there an average week? (laughs) I guess sort of, sort of an average week. Um, My day job allows me to work from home significantly. So it's, you know, the usual drop off and pick up that's, you know, shared uh, between myself, their dad and my mum. It's podcasting, recording twice a week. It's then editing those episodes. It's writing when I can fill in, you know, the cracks of my life, um, you know, I'll scribble something here or scribble something there. I really do try and spend, um, I like writing in the morning, but I can only do that on the weekends. So I will try and write something. I'm on a fair bit of planes lately. So I try and, um, you know, write when I'm on the plane because I feel like that's a really good time where you can just put aside and no one can really disturb you. Well, you can write on your phone or on a notepad or on your laptop, but you've got to keep putting your laptop away, you know, when you're taking off. So I've just started writing on my phone or on a piece of paper. Then I can just do the whole trip. So, yeah, I just find, um, yeah, so it's busy, but it's it's filled with all those things, you know, that I, I really love doing. And the nights that I'm not podcasting, I make sure that I sit down with the kids and we watch a movie or we play, you know, or, you know, we do all that stuff because I think, 
you know, you don't want to schedule time in, fun time in with your kids, but I think just having, yeah, I think you do. Just having that balance of everything. And I guess I've tried to instill in my kids that, you know, we're all a valuable member of the family. And so we all need our own time, you know? So if, if one of them wants their time doing X, then, you know, mum also gets that time doing X as well. So I think I've tried to create that real balance of, um, cause kids are beautifully egocentric, you know, <laughs> but I think it's important to say, you know, I need to do this as well. And you understand that because you need your time as well, which again is part of whole part of the book. <laughs> And you're obviously reading a lot of books as well to keep up with podcasts and interviews as well. And, yeah, that's that's the bit I struggle with the most. I love reading, but all of a sudden when there's pressure on it for podcast episodes, I feel like I'm never fast enough and that's for one episode a week and you've got two going. Yeah, look, that's true. Um, I do try and couple like a kid's book with an adult fiction um, because you can get through the kids' ones a bit quicker. I do try and do the genres that I love, so I'll fly through a crime fiction novel because I just love them. Um, I've always been quite a fast reader. Um, and, look, I don't sleep a lot, and it's not by choice. It's just my body does not want to sleep. I will try and go to bed at 10 and I will literally lay there until midnight and I'll wake up at 6 every morning. So my body only needs six hours and I've stopped stressing about it because, you know, everyone says you've got to have your eight hours sleep. Um, I can't. And so I think you just got to trust your body. If you at some function point. well without it, you do it. I'm jealous, <laughs> but you do it. Well, you just got to trust your body sometimes, don't you? And hopefully that's doing its right thing. I mean, I just find it better than laying there for two hours, you know, wishing I was asleep. I may as well be up doing something. Definitely. So you've obviously had lots of authors over the time share their tips with you. What's your biggest tip now for aspiring writers? Mm. It can be one that you've recycled from someone else if you prefer. <laughs> I feel like a bit of a fraud with, you know, one book out giving all this advice, but I think where you can build community and meet people, you know, I just went to um, the Kids YA Writers Festival and just speaking to publishers from other publishing houses is just an incredible insight into the industry. And even if you go to every single festival, you're always going to find out something new. And so I know you, you were talking about, you know, having being armed with too much information. Yeah. But I think that personalised information where you can just go to those festivals and talk to people and be part of the community, I think that's just key to not only understanding it but having that real community behind you to share those highs and those lows. And I think that's what's been, you know, really extraordinary for me to listen to is not only seeing people with their beautiful books, you know, coming out into the world but, you know, the stories behind that, the how hard it was to get this published, the how many rejections they had beforehand. You know, if you listen to Candace Fox, who's hugely successful now, she was over you know, 200, right? Yeah, rejected hundreds of times before, you know, someone saw her talent or before, you know, the book, the world was ready for her books. So hearing those real life stories of, you know, self-doubt and rejection makes you think that it's just part of the process rather than, you know, it's got anything to do with, you know, your talent or lack thereof it <laughs> because sometimes it, it's timing, sometimes it's, you know, a multitude of things that are beyond your control. So being a part of that community, building your own community, I think are such important factors in in becoming a writer because then you can not only learn, you can share those miseries and highs with <laughs> each other. And we are so lucky with the writing community in Australia, particularly 
I'm in like you in the kid lit space and everyone is just so supportive yep. that it is just quite incredible how willing everyone is to welcome like new people into the gang, offer yep. advice. It's just incredible. Yeah, it is. And I'm also, you know, I, I have a you know, crime community, if you like, crime fiction, let's say crime fiction community. That ben, yeah. <laughs> I often (laughs) be specific, yeah. (laughs) Little hustle on the side, Um, you know. And we get together for dinners, and you know, we get together at the Bad Crime Festival, and and they're just the same, you know. And I I think it comes from a place of we all know the struggle, you know. I don't think anyone's woken up and correct me if I'm wrong, written a bestseller, and you know, become a millionaire from writing. And so we all understand the struggle. And even people who have become hugely successful, there's no resentment. There's just a standing ovation because, oh, my God, you've done it. Yeah. You know, you've done what we all are trying to do. And look at you, you amazing person. So I think instead of resentment, we just applaud because we, we know the struggle behind um, every successful person. Now, I said at the start that you have a trillion book deal with Larrikin House. A trillion, trillion that's, exa- that's, that's the exact right number. It is <laughs> quite accurate. It's, and what, a nine book deal? Is that right? Yeah, it was nine. I, I got signed for three with my extraordinary mum. And so we didn't quite know what was going to happen with books two and three at that point. Um, I, I was always a big believer of, can we just wait and see how this one does before <laughs> I do a sequel as being, you know, that self-doubt paranoid person. But I am looking at writing um, some more books to do with um, mum, maybe not this mum at the centre, maybe another one, I'm not sure yet, but I've still got some ideas of how I can sort of push those boundaries a little bit more and help change those narratives, which I'm so desperately trying to change. Um, and the other books came from a series idea that I actually wrote for to brief. Um, from Larrikin House because I was working um, with Larrikin House on acquisitions and and slush piles and publicity etc which I I do a bit of now and you know the publisher was saying I've always wanted a story about an unlucky dad who's engaged and optimistic but just hugely unlucky (laughs) so my response was tell me more so once I found out a little bit more I was writing this down I'm saying can I give this a crack so yeah of course give it a crack and so it turns out that I can write to brief, didn't know that I could write to brief, but I actually found it really helpful to have these boundaries within which to write. And so I took it back after I read it to my kids and they told me it wasn't funny 45 times and then I rewrote <laughs> it and finally they laughed and went, oh, maybe this is the one. And so I took it back to the publisher and he was like, you know, that's that's pretty much exactly what I'm looking for. And not that it didn't change, but, you know, he's a concept guy. So he was like, mm-hmm. the concept's right, the character's right. You know, it's got those funny beats in it. And so we just kept upping the ante from there. So he would say, fix this stanza, do something with that stanza, flip these around. And so by the time we took it to Crystal in editing, um, we'd worked on it quite significantly. And, um, yeah, that's that's that one to brief. And I'm um, currently trying to give Junior Fick a crack, um, which is it's actually really enjoyable but really hard to be humorous on the page, you know. I'm not sure if people appreciate how difficult that is. And so I keep reading chapters to my kids and going, they're not laughing, they're not laughing. Maybe they're laughing internally. Yeah, no, they're probably. okay. (laughs) I'm (laughs) trying to. (laughs) I'm very honest, which I actually appreciate because it makes me just work a little bit harder, I think, than if I didn't have them as a sounding board because you'd be like, oh, that's funny enough. But when you've got a real-life audience telling you it's not, you kind of have to listen, especially when they're, like, they know books, you know, like they're reading 
great books and they know what's funny and so I'm always interrogating them going what's so funny about that book tell me tell me what's funny about that book. And that's a hard thing to answer though sometimes. It just is. Yeah Yeah, it is it is but then you know you'll read a line and you'll be like yeah that's that's kind of tapping into you know that nine-year-old's humor which is is funny and it's it's a bit um it's almost a bit inappropriate but not quite you know those books sort of just go there and pull it back. So, you know, it, it's interesting finding out, um, you know, what they find is funny and then trying to put that into your work as well. And you're a massive crime lover. Have you dabbled in crime at all? Is that something that could be on the cards or at the moment are you quite happy in picture book, junior fiction land? Yeah, I think at first I thought I was going to be a crime writer. <laughs> Turns out they're my debut picture book. You know, it's a picture book. Um, but I've always loved kids' books. But, yeah, I did write um, a crime story for the Banjo Award and didn't quite make the shortlist. Um, so HarperCollins asked me to rewrite it in, I think it was, um, first to third person, which was a massive job. Um, and look, that's just still, um, to be read and we'll see what happens. Maybe nothing. I don't know, but it was kind of cool to get some recognition definitely a piece. So I'd like to write another one, but I just find I always wrestle with crime and I'm not sure if that's because I shouldn't be writing it or because that's what crime is. You're meant to wrestle with it. So um, I'm not sure. So I find the kids stuff sort of comes out, even though I edit a lot, the first draft sort of come out easier. And then I edit a lot, whereas I find crime, I love doing it, but it's always quite the the wrestle because of, you know, I guess the expectations of crime fiction have changed so much in terms of it has to sort of be intelligent now because your readers are guessing who they are and your readers are savvy and you've got to have a twist and that's not enough. You've got to have like a double twist. (laughs) Characters are important. So it's probably a bit of overthinking, but, you know, I'd love that to be um, somewhere in my future, but if not, like I'm just so grateful and happy to be writing kids books that, you know, I will just delve into that if, if crime doesn't come to fruition. Look, I feel like it's a watch this space because you are absolutely dominating everything at the moment. And, I mean, with your nine-book deal, you're just going to be flooding bookstores. Your name will just be everywhere and I just can't wait to see what else comes from it. <laughs> well, let's hope people don't get sick of Danny B then. <laughs> Not I possible. might have to have a little bit of a black spot on social media where I just don't do anything for like a few months so people can get over the um you know the the publicity trail that I'm doing at the moment no definitely not stay on it (laughs) get on that train and stay there (laughs) Danny V thank you so much it has been so insightful I'm so excited for all of the things to come and my extraordinary mum people need to get their hands on it and see that see it for themselves Thank you so much. It's always such a privilege to be on people's shows. And I think, you know, people have said it to me before. I'm like, oh, of course I'd have you on. But being on the other side, it's it's such a privilege. And I'm so grateful for you taking out the time. I know what it takes to create a podcast. I know the time that you spend on it. So, you know, I just can't tell you how grateful I am for you um, putting time aside for me. So thank you so much. Anytime. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.